Hi, this is Rodney with Rodney Smith and Associates. And if you want to improve your communication skills, you need to be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I had the pleasure of talking to Rodney Smith. Rodney is a body language analyst and expert with over 18 years of law enforcement experience. He holds certificates and has extensive training in body language, micro expressions, interviewing others, interrogating others, and he's also a polygraph examiner. So he had a lot to share with us around how he leverages body language on a day-to-day basis in, in the law enforcement space. We get pretty deep around micro-expressions and how to see them and how to think about them. And he also discusses how he assesses if somebody might be lying or not. We dig, even dig it a little bit into the science around polygraphs and, and what they really mean and how to think about those kinds of results. So overall, a really interesting interview. Rodney kind of gives us a glimpse into the power of body language in action in the law enforcement space. Rodney, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to have you on today. Yes, sir. Thank you. I I really appreciate you having me on your show today. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that you're an expert in body language, so I definitely want to hear about that. I know that you also apply it to the law enforcement world, so um, definitely an intriguing area that I think we can get into. But I'd love to just start by hearing how you originally got into this whole body language world. So originally, uh, I've, I've been in law enforcement now for a little over 18 years. And starting out as a patrol officer, uh, I really didn't have a lot of experience or background in reading body language. You know, you take a couple of classes here or there in your academy, and they, they teach you just the, the basics of what to look for. I think probably as a patrol officer, I was really told more so than anything, watch the hands, uh, watch an individual's hands because they pose the greater threat of either holding weapons or potentially holding opportunity to hurt me. However, once I uh, became introduced to the investigative realm, which was about about five-year mark, I, I knew I would have to interview multiple people in reference to fraud cases that I was going to encounter. And so, unfortunately, at that time, I hadn't received much training in interviewing and interrogation. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did I get my experience? You know, other than TV shows and trying to (laughs) wing it, I would speak to some of the veteran officers to kind of get a better idea of how they interviewed people in general. So you pick up a couple of traits here and there. And I was finally able to go to school. And I took a week-long interview interrogation course with a retired FBI agent. And during that week, my eyes were open as I was shocked to discover that I had been overlooking just an enormous amount of information that was right before my eyes. And I was like, man, I I haven't realized what I've been missing right here in front of me. And so uh, I ultimately realized that I'd missed so many things during interviews and traffic stops, as well as statements that people would make because I was unaware of what to look for at that time. And 
fortunately, after the class, I was immediately able to put a good amount of that information to use. Mm -hmm. And a few years later, I was given an opportunity to uh, attend polygraph school. And it was actually there that I gained a better understanding uh, of the brain, the central nervous system, the psychology, and what happens during increased levels of stress and how it all tied in together. And once I returned from school, I was asked to start instructing at our agency's academy. And during creation of writing lesson plans, I had to do some more research and information to make sure that I was delivering you know, a good enough product to our uh, cadets. And so I started finding videos involving body language and micro expressions. Mm -hmm. And once I discovered that, it was then that I found several of the world's most recognized body language experts. And I started trying to learn and be more like them. And eventually I was able to reach out to some of these uh, body language experts and they, they, they helped put me on the right path. And I haven't looked back ever since. Yeah, very cool. Have you, has it made a huge impact as far as your ability to interrogate, investigate folks and question folks? It has. It's in so many different ways. It's allowed me to pass information on to my coworkers to help them be successful in their not just interviews, uh, but just daily inter interactions with people. But the 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 things that I have overlooked, and it's taken a number of years, you know, I definitely want to add, because once you learn a new skill, uh, like when I first learned how to read micro expressions, uh, I had to focus on intently on the face, but I had to do it in such a way not to stare. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once I started learning traits on body language, I had to learn how to read the body. And then ultimately, how to put all of these in together while focusing on the face and the body, you know, I think probably the best way to, to explain it would be like learning how to get your driver's license, you know, in driver's ed, when you first get in the car, you're focusing on the yellow line and the white line and 10 and two. And, you know, eventually the driving instructor says, how fast are you going? Now you got to look at the speedometer and then, you know, have you checked your mirrors and now you're doing frequent mirror checks and, you know, you look back a couple of years from now, now you see people that are driving with one hand, one hand's working the radio, they're eating with the hand, and it's, it's, it, it, it's just developed muscle memory. So it's not something that came within six months or a year. It's taken several years to hone in on that. Is there a specific way that you approach how you're looking at somebody? You know what I mean? Is it like leveraging your peripheral more? Is it just expanding your focus or is it just, you know, you've just trained yourself to be able to, you know, look at the key areas in the appropriate way? I think when, when I first uh, approach someone, you know, you, you take people at face value for who they are. Uh, I, I think ultimately as people start to talk and their, their body language, it speaks for, for itself. You start to notice certain, I guess, ticks that people have or just certain traits that while they're talking, you know, a person may be speaking to you and they're saying yes, but their head is shaking no. Or, you know, man, I noticed this guy uses his right hand a lot or, you know, he, he does this. So you're, you, you actually start to have the ability to baseline people just, just off their norm. So you take that at face value. And I guess depending on how your conversation may develop or where it goes, when you start seeing a lot of deviation from that, that's when, you know, you might say, 
so we, we've, we've got a little something here. Something seems a little bit odd as, as opposed to when I first met this person. And like I said, that's not just even in an interview or an interrogation style setting. That's just in, in life in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess initially when I when someone approaches me, I'm I'm not looking to evaluate or try to examine them. It's just sometimes things present themselves when you, a buddy of mine used to say, you see something when you, you, you have a tendency to see some things when you're not actually looking for them. Yeah, it's probably hard to turn it off. <laughs> it is at times. You know, is I guess it just all depends on the the setting that you're in. You know, when you're around yeah. your your friends and your family, you're not looking to examine them. But I think anytime we're meeting someone new, and depending on what aspect we're meeting them in, we want to, you know, we have our guard up to some some degree. But we try to take people for face value. You know, we want to believe that people are always being truthful and honest with us. From an interrogation perspective, could you just walk us through high level kind of your approach to, um, I guess, making them feel comfortable getting that baseline and then trying to learn kind of whether being honest or dishonest? So initially, anytime I meet someone, uh, whether it's for an interview uh, or interrogation, uh, I, I want to go into that that session with the mindset of being unbiased. Mm-hmm. I don't typically like to hear outside guidance or influences to sway my process or judgment. Hey, we think this guy's guilty or this person may be innocent. Um, I, I need to go into any interview or interrogation with giving that person a clean slate. You know, everyone deserves a fair chance. Uh, I'm looking at how that individual is going to approach me. I'm, I'm trying to find out, are, are they being overly anxious? Are they complaining that they have to leave uh, before we even begin? You know, do they seem uninterested? But ultimately, you know, I want to give that person opportunity to tell me their side of the story and in their words and not mine. So, you know, I, I, I want to go in ultimately with the mindset of, hey, you've got a clean slate. We st- we're starting at ground zero. And let's just work our way up here from the rapport building stage till we get down to the meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Any any great stories you can tell around um, folks, uh, I guess, maybe uncovering something from looking at body language in, in the midst of an interview? Um, trying to think if, I, if I've got any that's just, you know, someone might would say great. I think, you know, after you do so many, there's, they're just, just common stories. Yeah. Um, is, I think, you know, more so if I had to give a give an overview. It's just, it's just funny to, when you hear individuals speak to you and you start to realize people starting to trip up over their own words mm-hmm. or the, the nervousness or the stress, it makes itself more readily available or presentable. You know, you, you let them lock themselves in. And ultimately when you go back to readdress that issue or that concern, sometimes you'll see an individual get to a point where they just have a cognitive overload and the mind shuts down. And, you know, then that's when your work begins to, you know, hopefully be able to elicit the truth or gain some more information in the, in your session. It really is fascinating. 
So you mentioned a few times about micro expressions. Can you just tell us a little bit more about those and, and how you use those in your everyday? So with the micro expressions, initially when I when I first started learning about them, it it was in the I'd say mid to late sixties, probably around sixty around nineteen sixty six. The uh, micro expressions were originally discovered by uh, two gentlemen named Ernest Haggard and Kenneth Isaacs, and so they were scanning motion picture films of clinical reviews. And so ultimately, uh, they were searched for nonverbal communications between therapists and their patients. And so as they they reviewed those films, it was basically found that it was beneficial to observe the patients at different interval speeds, in addition to watching them in silence. And then they started watching them in backwards motion and changed the frames per second. And because of this, they were able to actually see dramatical changes in patients' faces uh, within different frames of those films. And we call them microexpressions now, but back then they actually referred to them as MMEs, which were micro-momentary expressions. And so a few years later, um, uh, Paul Ekman, he, he later took that story and he, he ventured to Papua New Guinea to study nonverbal communication with uh, the four people. And because of their isolation and cultural differences, uh, he, he wanted to make a comparison to see did people of different lands and regions have some of the same expressions as we did. And as a result, his research determined that they also had the same universal traits and emotions, just like others across the world. And, you know, for the over the past 50 years, we've had individuals that have uh, scientists that have continued studying these traits and behaviors. And what it was ultimately determined that there are seven basic facial expressions that are shown across the faces of individuals from all cultures. And those seven traits or expressions are happiness, sadness, anger, fear, surprise, disgust, and contempt. And so being armed with those seven basic expressions, and those those expressions can break down into further expressions. You know, there's not just one particular expression for anger, or there may be a different, there's more than one variation of contempt. And having that knowledge as far as in my day-to-day interactions, you know, when you see a person give you a, a smile, it makes you say, man, was that a polite smile or was that a was that a genuine smile? Or when you see a sign of contempt on someone's face, was that a sign of uh, a person showing some type of disdain, uh, almost to almost to an extent of disgust? Or was that a contempt of superiority that I got over on you? So it, it, I think for me, it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I learn a lot by being the third party, sometimes just kind of looking in from the outside, hearing other and seeing other people's conversations. Because sometimes when you are interacting with someone, we, we can get tunnel vision and you 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 get sidetracked or misguided in your focus. And so for me, I, I like to sit and watch other people communicate or just sometimes even if I'm in a conversation, just kind of step back and look at everything holistically mm-hmm. and say, man, there's a lot going on here when you see the surprise is a person being genuinely interested or when someone says something and you see a, a, a quick 
micro momentary or micro expression of uh, fear come across their face? You know, was it cosmetic or is it genuine? And I think the beauty of it is because a micro expression, you know, it's it's like a quarter of a second. It's 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 a flash. Uh, it, it it comes very very quick, and it is an emotional response. And I think that's the beauty. So when a person tells you, you know, man, I'm so excited or I'm really angry about this and looking for that congruency to see, did they did they show that emotion with that or are they just saying that to maybe gain attention or keep someone's interest? So for me, it's it's very interesting because it's kind of like a cat and mouse game. You know, is this person really angry as they say they are? Or are they truly as sad as they say they are? Or are they showing sadness in their face, but they're saying they're fine? Mm-hmm. So uh, having that ability to recognize those signs, you know, when you go and you see someone, and you say, how are you doing today? And they say, I'm doing really great. And you see a sign of sadness, having that ability gives you the opportunity to now say, maybe I need to reapproach this person in a different conversation or, you know, hey, if you don't mind, let's let's go talk for a second. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions or just do some follow up. So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't always take things at face value. And it's interesting because when Paul Ekman took this story, he he actually helped with a TV show called Lie to Me. Mm-hmm. And part of that show, what, what was interesting about it was on the show, his mother committed suicide. And I think he used to go back and review the videos, which was interesting because it kind of relates to how Haggard and Isaacs did their stories. And he was trying to search to find out what was wrong, because, like I said, a lot of times people will tell you, how are you doing today? And they say, oh, I'm doing fine. But their face may say something completely different. But first... Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I'll tell you, if you're a business owner, you absolutely should be. There's no better way to get your name out there, to grow your network, and really develop a relationship with your customers. I can tell you in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, I've already had conversations with top global influencers, Fortune 500 CEOs, and a host of other really cool people that I otherwise would not have had the opportunity to connect with. But you might be thinking, hey, it might be really hard to do a podcast. I don't know where to start or I just don't have time. But I'll tell you, if you work with my friends at World Class Media, they make it super easy. That's who I worked with. With their done-for-you podcast, literally, all I have to do is just record the episode and they do everything else from end to end, including all editing and production, development of my intro and outro and music, my artwork and website, development of my show notes, and submission of my show to all the major podcasting mediums. They even created my social media cards. And they offer me coaching along the way as well to help me to become a world-class podcaster right out of the gate. So if you've ever considered starting a podcast, you owe it to yourself to talk to world-class media because I tell you it's a lot easier than you think. So just go to gregjrice.com backslash done for you to learn more about the Done For You podcast service and to set up a free consultation. All right, let's hop into the show. Yeah. And something that really fascinates me about microexpressions is that uh, given that, you know, it kind of comes from the reptilian brain, right? So it's Mm -hmm. immediate reaction that you can't really stop. 
exactly. you can, it doesn't last for a minute. Like you can stop it once it happens and, and wipe it away, but it, ha- it happens. You can't stop it because it comes quicker than your cognitive mind can think about what you really wanted to sp- display to somebody. So it, it's, it almost like leaks. I find that really fascinating. Yeah. You know, it, and the funny thing is we, as you said, it comes from the reptilian brain. Uh, we weren't taught how to do this. You know, you're, you're not an infant and, and your parents don't teach you. All right. So when you want to show fear, make your mouth do this and make your eyes do this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a natural instinct, which is a great thing because the body has its own defense mechanisms as far as protecting itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, interestingly, with the, the difference in the mi- uh, micro expression and macro expression, you know, if you see that expression held on someone's face for more than two to four seconds, where now you're looking at a macro expression. And typically when we see photos that exhibit or display, that would be more so like a macro expression. But that's only because it was it was probably snapped real time when the emotion happened. But if you were to see that emotion or that that expression lasting for more than two to four seconds, you're more than likely looking at a macro expression. And that may be a little bit of overkill or it could be completely cosmetic. And so is, so is the feeling, and I don't know much about macro expressions actually, is the feeling like once it gets too far, two to four seconds, it starts to become inauthentic in some way. Correct. So I, I would say probably the best way to describe that is if an individual... Say you plan a surprise party for someone and then they walked in the house and everyone says surprise and then they just drop their mouth and they hold it there, you know, just kind of like, oh, my God. And they just they they may have already known about the party, possibly. And, you know, it 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 just it just a lot of times it's probably not going to appear as authentic as it should have been for that brief micro expression. Uh, you know, split second to actually show the the genuineness or the authenticity of it. You know, uh, sometimes we can, when we hear things, uh, I've got to put on a mad face because I know my friend is mad. And so I'm doing it purposely. Um, or I'm, I'm trying to show happiness when I'm not really happy. And I'm going to hold that smile on my face more than, you know, at, at some point it starts to look a little bit awkward. So, that would be the difference in a micro and a macro. Interesting. Yeah. And you talked earlier about kind of the danger of bias. Another danger I'd love for you to touch on is, is kind of the danger of taking one cue or one micro expression and running with that, right? He did this, he scratched his nose, so he's lying. That's it. He's lying. Um, right. Like you have to build a broader picture, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, so to, to make sure I understand your question, you, you're saying... Taking- I'm saying... It's, it's, it's dangerous to take just one cue and think that you understand completely what's happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of the biggest misconceptions that people have is they, they see one thing and they decide to run with it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the number one misconceptions, you always hear people say, oh, if they cross their arms or, oh, when you ask that question, he crossed his legs, so he's lying or that they have something to hide, or just like you just said, you know, they scratched or they rubbed their nose, or all of a sudden they just started shaking their leg. Well, so there's a possibility that something is there. Maybe some stress was generated. Maybe they're cold. Uh, Maybe their nose actually did start itching. Uh, But ultimately, from what I found, and you hear others mention as well, there's not one 
true indicator that indicates that a person is lying or being deceptive. Um, you know, sometimes people have their norms, and that's why it's so important to to baseline or identify them at the onset and during a conversation. You know, a lot of times just when I'm sitting down watching TV, I'll shake my leg. It's kind of a self-soothing action or I, uh, I sit sometimes just with my arms closed. So you have to be able to identify that initially. But one thing doesn't mean everything. And, you know, if, if, if someone goes into it with their mindset, well, I asked this person this and they cross their arms. Well, he's got to be lying. Then they're only fooling themselves. Uh, you know, I've, I've never seen one genuine uh, trait that indicates a person is deceptive. And I, I would probably almost agree that any other body language expert would say the same thing as well. Um, is You have to look at everything as a totality. When when you saw that arm cross, was was there something else that went with it? You know, did they clear their throat? Did they did they flash a micro expression? What else was it with that other than that one particular thing that you saw at that time? And it, it's interesting that even experts will tell you as a whole, people are not very good at discerning when somebody's lying or not. And even experts only write maybe three quarters of the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, no one is perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I think I've learned throughout the years that you know, I can honestly say when I don't know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if, if I didn't see it. If I don't know, I think to to continue and maintain a credibility status and to make not to make yourself look like a fool. The, the easiest thing to always tell someone is when you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Staying on the lie detection topic, um, you mentioned earlier about polygraph science and you've been trained in that and you leverage that. Not something I have a lot of familiarity with. I mean, I know it responds to your body's response to lying, right? Which could be stressful, which might raise your body temperature or your heart rate. But could you just share a little bit more about how, I guess, a polygraph works and, and just your thoughts on how helpful it is in determining if somebody's being truthful or not? So... First and foremost, uh, contrary to popular popular belief, uh, a polygraph is not a lie detector, as a Mm -hmm. lot of people will call it. Uh, There is no known documented device in existence that can definitively say that a person is lying. So ultimately, a a polygraph is an instrument that measures and records physiological changes in a person's body as a result of a stimulus or question that's asked to them. And and this is accomplished by connecting pieces of equipment that assist with reading blood pressure and pulse rate, electrodermal or sweat gland activity, as well as respiration. And so uh, the polygraph in in its actual meaning is poly means many, and graphs means writing. So it means many writings because you have multiple pieces of equipment working that are measuring and recording. And so basically the way the polygraph works is before a person is actually connected, questions are going to be formulated that will be asked and reviewed with the examinee. So there's three parts to a polygraph. You have your pretest examination where an individual is interviewed and then the, 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 Uh, questions are going to be generated for the actual polygraph examination. And then the second portion will be 
uh, after the pretest interview, you will do the chart collection phase. That's where an individual is actually hooked up to the polygraph. And then lastly, you do an actual review of the charts to interpret the data and provide any follow-up questions if needed. And so this will usually take a couple of hours. It's, you know, you don't go in and 45 minutes to an hour later, you're done. This, this is going to take a a substantial amount of time out of a person's day. Some could be longer, some may be a little bit less. But uh, before a person is actually connected, they the questions will be reviewed with them. Uh, and once they are connected, series of questions are going to be asked multiple times to obtain accurate readings of the changes in the, in the individual's body. And ultimately, the polygraph is going to record any types of level of stress it could record nervousness. It could record anxiety that's created from an individual due to their sympathetic nervous system reacting. So as far as how I feel, as far as how the polygraph is, ultimately, I, I think that the polygraph is it's, it's just about as accurate as the examiner operating it. You know, it's a piece of equipment. Uh, is that it, that ultimately is designed to take measurements of internal body stress as well as anxiety. Uh, it can be manipulated, as some examinees uh, can and will perform uh, what they call countermeasures or test the feeding strategies. You, you can go on the internet and see individuals were actually charged by the federal government years ago for teaching how to defeat the polygraph. And also, you know, it's been clearly shown as well. Test results can be misread, so that chart and tape, that chart data can be it can be misread. I, I think it's a good tool as it can it can measure what the eye cannot visually see, mm -hmm. but it cannot tell if someone is lying. Yeah. Now, however, if that stress or anxiety is recorded, the, the examiner must determine the cause of the anxiety. And, you know, there are different variety and versions of polygraph exams. And, you know, some of the test versions, you know, through scientific studies, they've shown that, uh, some of the records have shown that they've had an accuracy rate of, up in the higher 90 percentile group as far as their accuracy. Wow. But, so it's it's like I said it's it's a it's a great tool. It's not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it it's been used to help in several investigations, and it's it's helped to be proved. Uh, it's actually been helpful in proving a lot of uh, cases. I think usually after the polygraph is done, and then when they go into the final phase of the interpreted data, uh, a lot of times depending on how the interviewer's approach is that can sometimes lead to confessions as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just a fascinating space um, and appreciate you kind of going into it a bit for us. So the last couple of questions just that I like to ask everybody who I have on the show. Okay. The first one is around the power of conversations, right? I, I'm a firm believer that a, converse, that a single conversation can really change the direction of your life. Yes. So I always like to ask my guests if there's one conversation you can point to that had a really meaningful impact on you. Well, interestingly, I, you know, for, for about five, six years now, I, I actually studied martial arts. I studied Wing Chun Kung Fu. And sometimes after class on Saturdays, we would all go out to, to lunch. And one particular day, class, we're all sitting out. We're just, you know, interacting, eating our, eating our lunch. And 
one of uh, my classmates had referenced that he had just, you know, he received a raise at his job. And he said, you know, whatever the amount was that he made, I think it was like, man, I just got a raise and I'm making like, you know, $30,000 a year or something. And my Sifu had asked him, he said, um, he said, so is that a lot of money? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, that's that's really good, especially for what I do. And, you know, it, it took me a while to get to that amount. And and so he asked them, you know, it was kind of around another number, like, so what about what about 50,000? And he was like, oh, man, I'll never I'll, I'll never make that kind of money. And he said, well, why not? And he was like, well, you know, you, I'm going to have to be the boss's boss. And, you know, I'm, I just I don't have the education. I, I'm not going to ever be able to do this. And he said, so what about one hundred thousand a year? And he said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm probably never going to see that in my lifetime. You know, that would be nice, but I'll never see that. And so, you know, he my Sifu said, that's interesting. And my classmate said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, you've already put a cap on what you think that you're, you're able to accomplish. And, you know, that I, I sat there and I listened to that and I said, man, you know, because as a law enforcement officer, and even before I got into law enforcement, other jobs, a lot of times when we know what our salaries are, or when we look at what the boss makes, most of us kind of already said, well, I'll probably make this and this is what I'll be making as I retire. And I think for myself, I was even putting a cap on my potential, basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when you ask anybody, most people don't think that they're ever going to be a millionaire or most people don't ever think that they're going to make X amount of money because we put our own boundaries. We limit ourselves. And I think the only way that you can get out of that is You've got to try. You've got to take chances. And because of that day, I, I just remembered, I said, man, I, I've, I've done myself the same injustice. I've put myself in this same bubble. And I said, I've got to get out of this, this, this atmosphere. And so I went back to school and I got my master's and I said, you know, now I need to start trying to venture and get my own body language and um, micro expressions training out of the way and start start doing me what what I felt that I was meant to be doing, you know, years ago, but just never really had the courage to step out and do that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Sounds like a very impactful and it's put you on a, on a, a great path. It sounds like for where you want to go. Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. So second question, as you think about all that you've accomplished so far, if there's one communication skill that you could have more in abundance, what would that be? Hmm. More in abundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would say as far as the past or in the present or present. You could go either. Traditionally, though, I think about it in the past, like which would, what do you wish you could have had greater in the past that would have made it easier? I would say in the past, I, I wish I would have had the, the ability to confidently or maybe more concisely ask the right questions to help me accomplish my goals. Excuse me. Uh, I've always been more of a do-it-yourself type of person. I had that mindset. I can do it by myself and didn't necessarily need anyone's help. And because of that, there were times, you know, I talked to people in the body language aspect that were doing things that I wanted to do, but I was always too afraid to ask for help because mm -hmm. I had this mindset, this mentality. I can do it myself. You know, they've done it. I can do it. 
And I had to learn how to get out of my own way, you know, because there are a lot of people out here that are willing to help you, but people can't help. And sometimes they won't help you unless you tell them exactly what it is that you need them to do. And I think for me, I was at times too proud uh, or too afraid to ask and wasn't concise or precise enough to ask for help because I, I felt like it would make me look like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he, he's, he's not going to, you know, be successful in what he wants to do. So I think I, I, I lacked a lot of confidence in, in myself as well as being concise in relaying that I needed help because it's one thing to ask someone, how did you do it? But when you want to know how can I do it or what advice can you give me to help me do it? And I lack that tremendously. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with communicating. I think I was just more, uh, I had a little bit of fear and I lacked the confidence to, to be able to relay what I wanted to really ask. And I think folks would be surprised at how helpful people are once you ask for help oh. you know, across industries. Yeah. You know, fortunately, as I've, I've as I've gained that confidence in my abilities and I've reached out to several people in this field, uh, it, it's been quite the opposite because this community of body language experts are, com I mean, they're completely and extremely helpful. It's, it's, it's just been awesome for me. That's 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 the best I can say. It's, it's, it's just been awesome. Very cool. So last question for you. Who's the best communicator that you know, either know of personally or, or either know personally or just know of? And why do you say that about them? Uh, you know, I, I think as far as communicating, when I look back throughout my entire life, I've got to say it's, it's been my mother. Um, she's always been, number one, very knowledgeable and articulate when she spoke. And, you know, as a child, I always felt like she was a walking dictionary at times. You know, when I was little, <laughs> I used to hear words and I didn't know the meaning of it. And I would always ask my mom, what do they mean? And, you know, of course, when you're young, they, they give you the answer. And as I started getting older, she should tell me, you need to look that word up yourself. And so, uh, you know, as a child and growing up, she, she made it very clear that when you talk to people, you need to look at them in the eyes you know, you, you look at people in the face to show show that respect. And when you speak, you need to speak clearly and you stand up straight and you speak loud enough so that others can hear you. And so, you know, she taught me that when you don't know something or that or especially when there's a conversation and someone says something and you don't know what they're talking about, don't be afraid to ask questions as that age old saying, you know, the only dumb questions are the ones that you don't ask. Mm -hmm. And so. As a child growing up, and even to this day, I still see my mom. Uh, she 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 thinks before she answers, and I watch how she engages and can hold a conversation with anyone. Uh, my mom's one of those people. She doesn't know a stranger. She can just walk up and, and and communicate well with anyone about anything, and and walk away with some knowledge. And so that I, she, she just does it with ease and she makes it look easy. So it, it would definitely have to be my mom. Very cool. Very cool. So where can folks find out what you're up to and, and connect with you and just learn more about what you're doing? So I've uh, recently created a website and folks can find me online at the T H E the Rodney Smith.com, which is my website. Uh, it gives an overview of me and the training I provide the other to others. Uh, I also 
uh, have links embedded to subscribe to my to my newsletter. You can also find me on Facebook at Rodney Smith and Associates or on my LinkedIn account at Rodney Smith. Very cool. So definitely check out Rodney. A lot of great guidance and wisdom to share um, as as we're all trying to get better at reading body language. Yes, so. Really interesting conversation, Rodney. Really appreciate you taking us kind of behind the scenes a bit on how you're leveraging body language in the law enforcement space and just great things for us to think about in every aspect of our lives on how we can better understand those who we're communicating with. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I I really enjoyed being here today. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.